to the Food Startups Podcast, connecting the opaque world of food startups. This is Daniel Imri Satanayaka of Tiny Farms, and you are listening to the Food Startups Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 84 of the Food Startups Podcast. Thanks for joining us today and you're going to learn a lot today about how to create great editorial content. We are going to be chatting with the founder of the New Food Economy, which is a online e-zine, online magazine for what I would call triple bottom line food companies in the in the food movement, triple bottom line being social, environmental, and financial. So if you're trying to form one of those businesses, I highly recommend you listening to it because he has a formal journalism background. He's, he taught journalism at the University of Columbia in New York and has worked as a journalist. So you're going to see a very interesting perspective in how they create amazing, I'll call it editorial, long-form content that you'll probably want to write about your business. And, and as you grow for PR, you're going to want your business to maybe be featured there or in other magazines and journals. It's really interesting to me because, as you probably know, I don't have a formal background and seeing people approach the food movement and the food startups movement with a team of seasoned veteran writers and journalists is quite interesting to me. So I'm going to bring in the guest now, and I hope you enjoy the show. He's a native New Yorker from the New York area, and he entered the academic world, became a professor taught journalism at Columbia University, and later worked as a publisher. Four months ago, he decided to start his own magazine. He is CEO of the New Food Economy, Jeffrey Kate. How's it going? It's going great, Matt. Uh, and, and how are things with you? Great. As you know, I'm talking to you from London. I guess we're in two different uh, exciting places. I'm in London, and you are in the Caribbean. I am in the Caribbean, and uh, I invite you all to come down and join me. Yeah, I'm sure you have a, an amazing view down there. Well, listen, Jeffrey, I, I guess I want to start out because, you know, New Food Economy, how would you define the food movement? Well, the food movement is a very diverse set of ambitions. Uh, it's it's not monolithic in any way, shape or form. And it's it's set of ambitions to try to raise higher quality food in a way that's more respectful of the planet and more respectful of the of the producers and more concerned with health issues. And that's just the major parts of it. So there's some companies that go in to the new food movement simply because they want to do organic rather than conventionally raised stuff. There are people who go into the food movement because they want to be fair to the producers or to their employees. There are people who go into it for health reasons, for reasons of protection of animals. So it's very, very broad based. Uh, there are loads and loads of goals that people share some of, uh, but not all of. I think the the best way for me to talk about it so that it is not as vague as I may have just sounded is in contradistinction to what one calls the commodity or industrial food system or big ag. That is, whatever they're doing in terms of high volume commodity products, the food movement is working against. Gotcha. Okay. And Okay, we talked a little bit about this before the show, but you mentioned that working in Maine and Portland, you had some experiences, things that kind of shed light on this this new food movement. Can you share a few of those stories with us? 
Sure, sure. So I was working in Portland on the newspaper there and traveling a lot around Maine looking for both stories and even, you know, maybe a, another kind of uh, publication around uh, which kinds of industries or professions needed better journalism, better coverage. And spent a lot of time talking to the food producers in Maine, the farmers and the fishermen and the people who grind wheat and make bread and the um, this great potato farmer up up north. And I was very impressed with these people's energy and these people's uh, inventiveness in trying to make food better, often starting at very, very small scale. And I would ask them what they were reading to help them not so much achieve their goals of the better product, but actually make a profitable business at the same time, uh, because the business challenges are very, very great, particularly if you're starting or you're small, uh, given the size of, uh, of the national uh, industry. And I learned that their, their sources of information and business intelligence were very scattered and haphazard and that there really wasn't a- any publication that was both embracing the kind of purpose they were going for and helping them with the business sophistication to make their business profitable and and give them a decent livelihood. That's uh, what made me think that maybe there was a publication here. By the way, the newfoodeconomy.com is a a digital magazine. It's a digital magazine. That this was, there was really room for a service to them to connect them with ideas and people and stories uh, that showed who's, who's able to actually design companies that not only meet a purpose, but also make a profit. Right. Okay, so, and, and listeners, this can be found at foodstarspodcast.com slash newfoodeconomy. So it's an online publishing uh, business, right? And for, you know, I don't have experience in, in online publishing uh, in the sense of like, you know, an online or, or e-magazine. I'm curious, you know, what is what is the online publishing business like? And, you know, for New Food Economy, how are you guys going to get the word out there and uh, make money, whether it's syndication or, or advertising, et cetera? Right. Well, that's uh, we're looking at syndication. We're looking at advertising. We're going to we're particularly looking at subscriptions. We're now uh, not charging subscriptions because we want to build our audience and confirm that we're we're doing the job we want to do. Then we will begin to charge subscriptions uh, and we will begin to sell advertising. And we're also thinking about syndication, possibly doing um, a conference or special research. There are various ways we think we can get revenue once we feel we've gotten the pulse of these uh, entrepreneurial ventures and we we've learned what they need and they also bring their reactions to us and listeners i will link to the newfoodeconomy.com and some of the articles i've read because jeffrey and remember this question's coming from a, a non-journalist so uh, correct me if i'm wrong here but the way i see it is they're kind of really really well researched long form articles that kind of I don't know about long form, but they're, you know, they're not just, I say long form just to differentiate your content from something like BuzzFeed or, or things like that. They're, they're well-researched. They have sometimes charts and graphs. They always have photos, you know, exactly what you would find in, in kind of a, the longer articles in, in any type of magazine you could find on the shelves. So, I mean, I'm, I'm curious as to the creative process there, since you're the CEO and you have experience in, in publishing and journalism, how did you find the, the uh, I'll say, journalists or writers that are working with you? And what goes into making one article? Wow. Well, I've, uh, you know, 
the, the way you find the talent is the usual way, which is you, you spend a long time picking other people's brains and talking and talking and talking and reading uh, and looking for the, uh, the subject matter specialists and the, and the writers uh, who are already out there who are writing about business or writing about food and preferably writing about both. Then you go and you try to convince them that this is a cool project that is going to be very rewarding in terms of helping the whole food movement try to change the food system. And you try them out, and uh, ultimately you get a team that is satisfactory, so you feel you, feel you can launch. It's, there's nothing magical about it. It's very much trial and error, and that's why it's taken quite a while. In terms of an article, we watch other developments, and we read a story in the main press, in the general press, or and that covers some sort of aspect of the food industry, but realize that what's of interest to our readers as new entrepreneurs or small purpose-driven entrepreneurs is not really covered in that story, that there's something missing. And so that's when we decide that we're going to do our own take on it that'll both you know, validate the purpose-driven motives that a lot of these entrepreneurs have and also uh, talk about the real just brass knuckles business problems that even the most inspired and idealistic uh, food entrepreneur has to solve. And we try to write about them in a way that's really supportive of people who want to go and do food differently in terms of their good intentions but show them that unless they also know about uh, insuring their truck or getting liability for a possible recall or uh, inconsistency in sourcing, that they're just loads of booby traps that are waiting for them. And once we start writing about it, we attract attention because we're out there on social uh, and other people write us and say, I've got a better story than that or I'm a writer who's been dying to write about this stuff. That's funny you mentioned that, uh, Jeffrey, because I got a better story than that. So a lot of times I've had food companies, you know, food startups on the show, and then their competitors were like, hey, you should have me on the show. We have a, a better story. So it's funny that you also see that happening. Exactly. I think the model works exactly for you, Matt, the same way. And that's how, that's how we do it. I mean, to try to, you know, be a, a change agent is, is a tough in, in the food business or any business is very tough. To try to run a business that's profitable is extremely challenging. To try to do both, which a lot of our readers are trying to do, right? They're, they want to do food differently because they, they want it to just be a, a, a better product. Uh, but they also don't want to go broke in the process. Uh, it's a tall order. And it's, people figure this out in different ways. And some of them are successful and some of them are not. And it's, we want to tell their stories. We figure that's the best way to, to move the whole the whole movement forward. So it comes down to storytelling. And, and Jeffrey, so I'll tell you something, you know, in my company, working with organic and, and fair trade produce, we've kind of come across the, the challenge that, you know, uh, here in actually in Germany at the, at the conference, we met with fair trade Switzerland, fair trade Germany, actually fair trade, just so you know, fair trade England, UK is the, the biggest fair trade country. But in the US, it's, it's kind of, I don't know how much you know about, it, but it's, it's, a, it's difficult because there was a fight between two of the founders of fair trade USA. And now they have uh, in San Francisco, they have fair trade USA and DC, they have Fair Trade America. So there's two certification companies. Just a note here, I may have got, I may have mixed up Fair Trade USA and Fair Trade America on which coast they are, but there's two of them. But the, the you know, the problem we're trying to solve is telling these, these stories. How do we communicate that in, in our business and what we're selling so that the end consumer is aware? And, and you know, it's, it's not, there's not an easy answer there. I'll, uh, I'll give you one other quick anecdote is sure. with 
New Wave Foods, they're, they were last week, you know, they're the guests before you, they are looking for funding to make shrimp in a laboratory using marine algae. And talking to them before the episode recording, uh, Jeffrey, it was really interesting to me and eye-opening because I, I found an article that uh, shrimp fishing is huge into human trafficking. But that's before I researched to interview them. I had no idea. And so right. I think when people say, hey, it's, it's shrimp made in a laboratory, maybe it doesn't sound as enticing. But they understand what you know shrimp fishing is doing to you know uh, the ocean and all of its side effects. It's, it's really, really important. So that's always a challenge for, for food startups. But yeah, I mean, so it, it just goes to show that, you know, the ambitions people have to just do a good product, a homemade product, perhaps that now they want to commercialize and they want to scale up on. It's, uh, you know, it's, it sounds relatively straightforward, but food is complicated. Uh, there's, there's a kind of worldliness that even the most uh, dedicated single product baker has to have to know what's what's going on, what the big companies are doing, how their supply chains work, how the hell they can be so cheap. We should talk about that at some point, Matt. This, you know, the low margins that are, you know, that come from big agriculture versus the kinds of margin decisions that entrepreneurs have to make. It's very complicated. Uh, and it's not that complicated if you want to stay within your community and, and sell your chocolate chip cookies uh, around. But if, if you want to get into uh, scale up at all so you can get volume that can really, uh, in most cases, compensate you, you've, you've got to play another game. You talked about the certification. Yeah, we did an article called Certification Nation because of the plethora of certifying bodies out there. It goes back to what uh, I was just saying in response to your first question. You said, what's the food movement? I said, you know, there are about two dozen different ambitions, shade grown, fair labor, and so forth. So there's so many ways you can get certified. Some, some of them do compete with each other. Some of them compete with each other and, and are, are, are businesses that themselves are for-profit businesses. So it's, it's a bit of a maze. And that shouldn't discourage anyone from going into it, but they should go in with their eyes open that uh, decisions aren't as simple uh, for the consumer as they'd like to think. I mean, you know, the consumer is challenged. This isn't just a production uh, challenge. We know consumers have are demanding this stuff. We don't have to build demand for, for better food. It's a cultural wave that they want better food and that uh, demand exceeds supply uh, for organic produce and grass-fed beef and so forth. So that's not the problem, and that's a blessing uh, for all these businesses. Uh, consumers really are willing to try new stuff. But uh, how consumers decipher all these certificates, all these claims, is something that uh, a good food business owner has to understand something about because uh, otherwise they may very well take a wrong step and be misinterpreted. I think you're 100% right. And certification nation is, is really, it's a really apt term for it because uh, not just on the consumer side, but also on the startup side, you know, and, and I had Bob from Bob's Red Mill on here and he was saying that, oh man, I can't get the exact number. I can't remember it right now, but I think it was like a third of his time, you know, they spend is just on getting these quality control certifications. And you made another good point, Jeffrey, that it's, that it's not, it's not to discourage, but to paint an accurate landscape for someone getting involved. So they know what they're getting into and, and they can kind of, you know, pass all these hurdles and, and, and make their business successful. So that's, that's really cool. And, and yeah. Jeffrey, I, I, I guess another quote I'm going to read from, from an interview with you on everything being personal. So this is a, a quote um, from you. It said, an early mentor of mine taught me how important it is to remember that everything in business is personal. In the new food economy, where people join or start companies, 
in large part because the mission aligns to their personal beliefs and lifestyle goals, this is ever more true. We are trying to apply this maxim to our editorial coverage. So can you elaborate on everything in business is personal? Well, I think there's a sense now that what one does for a living is something that one wants to be proud of doing, not just because of the return it makes, but because of the effect it has on on others. And it's extremely broad. It's extremely uh, vague. People make their own goals and define the intensity of them. But certainly in in my, what, what compels me is to think of those main farmers and processors and say to them, I, I know you're having a tough time, uh, but it's worth doing. It's worth trying. You can make it. And that makes it worth, worth my time and my team's time to do it. And certainly when I try to attract uh, writers and editors, uh, the quality of people who are working for me completely outdoes what I'm remunerating them in. <laughs> They're here because, sure, they also have to make a living, but they're fascinated by what, what's going on in the field. They think they can make a real difference. Uh, they think that the, that all these people going into the food business to, to change the way food is understood and, and uh, the environment is understood is, is a real intangible benefit that supplements the salaries that they get and, and gives them a lot of satisfaction. So we're uh, not, not, not everybody in business always goes in for the personal, but we're in an an ethos now, particularly being challenged by environmental questions, that more and more people, uh, and it's been shown in polls of millennials, want to have a purpose-driven aspect of how they spend their energies. Wow. Well, Jeffrey, um, let's see. So summing up everything you say, you really do have a a good team. How many people are on your team? Uh, We have basically four editors and and a marketing officer. Digital officers, there are five. Five, wow. Chief marketer. And it's, it's newfoodeconomy.com. And it's up there every day uh, with fresh stuff just about every day. And, you know, you're, I just love to, for whoever is listening, uh, any ideas you have about what we should write about would be uh, wonderful to hear from you. And um, uh, I'd love to get your reactions to what we're doing. We're trying various kinds of writing. And we think... We think it's, a, it's an unbelievably exciting thing. It's it's not just about food too, because these are people who are uh, Matt, who are also some in many ways changing the structure of their companies. They they're, they're starting a B corporation so that they don't have the ultimate responsibility to their shareholders if they're also doing good. A lot of these people are, are working in co-ops uh, to share the responsibility and also the rewards. So they're they're flatter, less hierarchical organizations. A lot of them go into ESOPs, into employee uh, stock stock option plans. So it's interesting that uh, trying to do food right also means trying to treat other people right. And so there's a good deal of uh, improvisation in you know in setting up your corporation so that everybody. Everybody gets a share of the, you know, of the profits and of the, and of, and of the good feeling of doing well. Great. And they can find you at what email address? Can they contact you, you Jeffrey? Info at newfoodeconomy.com uh, will get right to me. And uh, I'd, love, I'd love your readers to read the stories. Like I know you've read some of them. This is a story about this uh, rancher in Kansas who's, who does small grass-fed beef operation, but inevitably had to go through high-volume uh, slaughter and processing machinery, which pretty much 
mitigated the kind of quality he wanted, but figured out how to use a mobile slaughterhouse to uh, experiment with and basically created an alternative supply chain. Really inspiring story. These bunch of Maine farmers and fishermen who decided to go after the $12.5 million contract, food contract for the University of Maine, which came up and fought to, to take it away from Aramark and Sodexo, the big food service companies. They actually didn't get it, though they were a finalist, but they, they sort of won by losing to show that they really could make a try. I mean, the, the attempts... There are ways that are incredibly ambitious ways that small producers can still be part of large markets. They're figuring out how to be part of large, stable, high demand markets. It's revolutionary. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's tremendous. We love writing about that stuff. Great. Well, Jeffrey, listen, I can feel your enthusiasm over here in, in Chile, England. What you're doing, it's great. And I noticed, you know, some things that, uh, the, our podcast and uh, what you guys are doing that, that are kind of in common. And uh, yeah, the, the site looks great. So thanks for coming on the show. And I hope to have you back in the future. And I wish you the best of luck. Same to you and your and, and your businesses. And please let me know how that's going as well. Truly appreciate the, the, you know, the opportunity to, to talk about what I'm so passionate about. And I hope to talk to you all again. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, find us online at foodstartupspodcast.com.